are listening to Up To Me Radio, the best in inspirational talk radio. It's up to me. Welcome to another episode of Call for Karen's The Empowerment Hour. My name is Michelle Bolden, and I will be your guide as we journey through caregiving together. The Empowerment Hour will bring inspiration, education, and resources to our audience of family caregivers. The tangible information provided during this podcast should be used immediately for our caregivers to have an improved journey. In May, we celebrate women in many ways. Mother's Day, Women's Health Month, teachers and nurses who are often women. May 16th through May 12th is National Nurses Week. So it's only appropriate that we start this month with nurses as our guests. Nurses are not only providing care to patients or clients in a hospital or clinic via telehealth or drive-by care nowadays with the pandemic, but often return home and still have to provide care for their own family member. Today's episode is a nurse's work is never done. So we're gonna take a journey into their experiences. Our guests today are also members of the professional nursing organization, Chi Eta Phi Sorority Incorporated, a national organization of over 3000 undergraduate and graduate female and male nurses, led by the motto of service for humanity. This organization is often seen in the community working. I am honored to also be a member of this organization. You can learn more about the organization at chiatify.org. So now I'm excited to introduce our two guests, Dr. Sarah Myers and Dr. S- and I'm sorry, Sanjali James. So welcome. Hi. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm excited that you're here. So we're going to go ahead and jump in and I'm going to ask for each of you all to kind of just share your background and your current work. So Dr. Myers, we'll start with you. So thank you for having me, uh, Michelle, giving me this opportunity to share my thoughts and my reflections on caregiving. I retired from the VA um, Department of Veteran Affairs Atlanta VA Medical Center in October 2000. 19. Um, I spent 36 years there in various um, leadership capacities with increased responsibility as I transitioned to the various positions. I retired as the Associate Nurse Executive for Geriatrics and Mental Health, which is the two most visible programs in VA. Um, Had a lot of experience in long-term care, was over 120-bed nursing home, um, over also over at the same time, the mental health unit, 40 bed locked mental health unit. I was on the team to develop um, a unit at Fort McPherson, which is part, uh, partly owned by the VA. And that, that is all mental health, uh, vocational rehab services and um, a domiciliary for homeless veterans. Um, so I really enjoyed my time at the VA. It was quite an experience, quite a journey. 
I can imagine with all that you've done, that's a lot of responsibility. And thank you for that service to our veterans like that. That is amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm also a veteran myself, which is a co-existing co um, occupation, I guess. Um, I served in the Army Reserve as an um, Army nurse for 13 years. Wow. Achieving the rank of major. Nice. Wonderful. Amazing. Thank you. I'm sure we have some history here as well, because that sounds like some history right there. So amazing. Thank you. Sanjali, can you share a little bit about yourself and your um, current work? Okay. Um, hello. Hello. Um, thank you for having me. So uh, I've been a nurse for 24 years. Um, I've done pretty much a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, when I, you know, first started, I didn't stay at a job, you know, more than three years because I wanted to just, you know, get my hands in everything. So, um, I started out as a pediatric nurse, uh, worked at Hughes Spalding, Eggleston, saw a lot, um, did the floors, did night shift, day shift, got, you know, tired of the floors. So I decided to go into clinic. So I worked in a transplant clinic for a little while. Then I worked in a, G, a pediatric GI and hepatology clinic for six and a half years. Then I got tired of that and started working as a home infusion nurse where I did um, um, antibiotics, solumedrol, those kind of things in the home. Then I left that, went back to Hughes Spalding and was a sickle cell nurse doing the um, transfusion um, for the sickle cell patients. I did that for a little over five years. Was a nurse navigator for the sickle cell patients at Grady for a little while. And now, coming all around, I am a research nurse with Emory University School of Medicine uh, Pathology Department. And my main focus on studies are with sickle cell patients and um, transfusion medicine. Wow. Oh, yeah. yeah, I've done a lot. <laughs> yes, you know, and that's the thing I love about nursing is so dynamic. You know, each of you had your own experience and it's so very different, right? So you can go anywhere in nursing and do so many different things. My background is all intensive care, uh, adults and pediatric. And then I transitioned into the revenue cycle world, actually spent oh, wow. over half of my career in revenue cycle and revenue integrity. So again, it's just so many different things that you can do in nursing yes. that makes it such an amazing occupation. And so um, you know, a nurse is not a nurse is not a nurse. So you, know, you probably wouldn't want me delivering your baby because I could probably handle the baby, but not necessarily the birth. Right. So exactly. we have our own specialties that we have and things that we love to do. So you find your passion in nursing and you just kind of hang around there. So thank you for sharing that. So now I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about your caregiving journey. So each of you have had experience with, you know, working and then having to come home and care for a loved one. So I'm going to ask you to kind of tell us about your journey. Who was the person that received the care? Um, what was your role as a caregiver? Were you the primary caregiver? Were you a long distance caregiver? Um, you know, how did that journey begin with your loved one? And then how is it going now? Or, or how did it end? And so Sanjali, I'm going to ask you to start with your journey. Okay. So um, my mother got ill in January of 1999. And I was just became a nurse. I think I was just a nurse like four months. And she just, I mean, just 
just really weird stuff. Like she, she didn't go to work. Um, she stopped smoking and she's been smoking since she was 14. Um, the house is a mess because I moved, I moved out and was living on my own and just really, really weird stuff. Um, and, and I couldn't figure it out. And it got to a point where she just couldn't take care of herself in the house. So I was concerned that, you know, she turned on the stove and forget it was on and blow the house up. So mm -hmm. she moved in with my uncle, her brother, and she just got progressively worse there. Um, she would wake up and I thought this was so crazy. She would wake up in the morning and I, oh, by the way, I worked the night shift. So I had to leave work and go over to my uncle's house to take, to watch her while they went to work. Mm -hmm. So she would wake up in the morning. It would take her 30 minutes to take a shower, 30 minutes to change, to fix the bed. And then she would, 30 minutes to get dressed. And then she would come in the kitchen and she would sit in the kitchen and she would watch one channel, not change the channel. She wouldn't really eat. I'd, I'd fix her breakfast. She'd eat that. And then she wouldn't eat anything else for the rest of the day. And I'm just like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. So long story short, she got progressively worse. Um, I had to, we had to end up putting her in a nursing home for a little while. And in the nursing home, she had a seizure. And during all that time, I had to get, get the house situated, get all, sell all of her stuff out the house because I knew she wasn't coming back to the house because she just, she just was that sick. Cause she, her, she, she forgot everything. And I still didn't know what was wrong. Um, but I needed to get her social security going because it stopped. So me coming off of work, going to the social security office, going to defect, filling out papers, going to see her, dealing with my uncle. I mean, I don't remember sleeping. <laughs> I, mean, I don't, I don't remember sleeping. I don't remember eating. I don't remember anything. Right. So April, then she, then she had a seizure and then I, she had a seizure in the nursing home. So the nursing home sent her to the hospital. I get to the hospital when she's in the emergency room and the doctor's like, what's going on? So I tell him all this. I said, this is a 62-year-old woman who, you know, lived on her own, was married until her husband passed, bought season tickets to the Falcons game every year, went to New Orleans with the Falcons every year. And now I'm looking at a woman who looks like she's 92 years old. So I don't know what's wrong. So he said, okay, we'll do everything. We'll run all sorts of tests and see, you know, see what's what. I said, great, do it. Then he said, but I want to run an um, HIV test. I said, for what? He said, well, we're just going to rule everything out. I said, well, you can rule that out because she don't have that. I, there's no way she had that. She's 60-something years old, you know. So a couple of weeks went by, and on April, I want to say it was her birthday. I want to say it was April 3rd or April 4th. I went to the hospital to see her, and the doctors pulled me to the side, and they told me she had HIV. And I went, I don't want to say the words I said, but I just was like, what? So the nurse part went out my head. <laughs> then it came back in for a minute and I said, okay, what's our CD4 count? And he said, well, we don't know that yet. We got to get the results. I said, okay. So that changed everything that I needed to do. So I needed to go 
back to Medicaid because Medicaid, the Medicaid hadn't kicked in yet because she was too young. Mm. She was 60. Well, she was 63 now, but she was still too young. She had to be 65, I think. Five, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So she couldn't get it, but she could get, she couldn't even get disability yet. Mm -hmm. um, I had to transfer her social, no, that's not right. I had to move her money out of her checking account because she was getting um, she was getting her money in from um, Social Security and you know um, directly deposited into her account. But for her to get Medicaid and to get disability, she had to have no money. So I had to move the money out somewhere. So I put it in a in a I just I couldn't move it at the time, but I found out that she had full blown AIDS because her CD4 count was 72. And so Sanjali, I'm just going to ask you yeah. to explain what the CD4 count is because oh, okay. our audience won't know. That's and I know as we go into lay to caregiver to, yeah. to nurse, just right. kind of explain what that is. So CD4 count, is, CD4 is a, is a compliment that um, the, um, the HIV virus attacks and it reduces that number. It, it's the compliments to, to fight infections. And that's just the easy way to say it. Mm -hmm. Um, anything above 200, you're fine. Oh, I think it's 400. 400, you're fine. 200, you're fine. But with, with um, HIV positive patients, theirs gets low to about 200. Anything below 200, you're, you're AIDS. You're full-blown full AIDS. Okay. So hers was 72, so she was full-blown. Okay. So she had she had all the signs. She had she had thrush. She had she had yeast in her mouth all the way down to her stomach. She couldn't eat. She couldn't walk. She had the mu her muscles were wasted. It's just a whole nine. Anyway, she stayed in the hospital for a month and a half. And in that month and a half, I'm trying to get everything situated with her money, with her her insurance because she didn't have insurance because she wasn't working so she lost her job lost her job lost insurance so i'm trying to get the meds going i'm trying to get the defects going and every single time i went back and forth to all these offices mind you right after i get off work at seven o'clock in the morning after i don't work a 12-hour shift and i got the runaround so many times it was just awful it was absolutely awful. I ended up finally getting her in the hospice. She came, she went in the hospice on a Friday evening and she died Saturday evening, the mm -hmm. next day. Mm -hmm. um, and, then, and the crazy part is she died in May of 99. In October of 99, I get a letter from Medicare saying that she was approved. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah that's, that, yes. January to, to May, I remember everything I did with her, but for me, absolute blur. I don't remember what I did for myself. Right. Wow. Yeah. That, that's just, that's just a lot to, to take in as a new nurse yeah. and just any career in any new career you're trying to begin in, but especially in nursing, because you don't feel like you get a break from where you work. You're always being a nurse, you know, even though you try not to be as a caregiver because you want to be a daughter or a husband or a wife and not a nurse. And it's sometimes you're forced into that situation because you want to make sure your loved one is okay. So you switch those hats as yeah. needed. Right. So, Oh, wow. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Myers, can you share your journey? 
Well, I have to tell you, my journey started when I was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, while I was uh, actually when I was in high school, my um, great grandmother, who was my dad's grandmother, um, came to live with us in Georgetown, South Carolina. She stayed with us until all of us, I have eight, there are eight siblings. And when we all went to college, she was placed in a nursing home. She passed away at um, the age of 115 years of age. 100 and what? 115. Wow. <laughs> my, my mom's my mom's mother. So I was a, a long distance caregiver with my great grandmother and my mom's mother who passed away at 93. Um, and 2020, I had three people to pass away in my family. Oh, wow. um, so those are the people I'm going to focus on. My dad passed away um, January 2020. He was um, 95 years old. Uh, he had multiple medical problems, just a lot of medications. My mom was taking care of him. She was in her 90s and mm-hmm. passed away at 93. But um, I found that my mom was, was really uh, wearing a lot because my, my father continued to need more and more care. So um, I guess about six months after my, my dad started um, physically deteriorating, my mother got sick. Um, my mother came down with MDS, this myelodysplastic syndrome. And it's a condition where the bone marrow does not produce enough red blood cells. So the outcome of that is you go to the oncologist every two weeks. And if your hemoglobin is below seven, you, you get a blood transfusion. So those, the last three years of their lives were the critical times that I was involved. Um, still working, going to South Carolina on the average uh, a, a week every month. Um, coordinating their care and um, having some support with my siblings, but I was the major caregiver. Paying bills, um, buying groceries, we hired someone to to assist Mm -hmm. because we wanted to keep both of them at home. We had problems that we would not put them in a nursing home. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad we were able to do that. Um, The care with my mom became very, very... um, complicated and and she was needing more care. At the same time, my dad's physical condition was deteriorating. We, um, I talked to my parents and my siblings. We put my dad in hospice, home hospice, Mm -hmm. which allowed us to have more resources. He had um, an aide to come Mm -hmm. and um, provide care. He got all of his supplies free, all of his medications free. Imagine taking care of two older parents in, in their home. Right. Um, we also had, um, we just had a lot of support. I just surrounded myself with, with people. Um, my, I had two brothers in South Carolina and the majority of us are here in Atlanta. So, and they have more responsibility. I'm the single person in my family and they, I don't know why people always think the single person has more time. <laughs> and a nurse, but you know, I, I accepted that responsibility because I just cared for my parents. I just loved them to death because I would not be the person I am if it wasn't for them. So absolutely, I just, I just made that my, my, my big priority. At one point, my mom was, was really fretting. It was like, well, we need so much care. What are we going to do? My brother and I promised them that we would be there for them mm-hmm. for whatever they needed. 
So fast forward to 2018, my mother, um, even though she was, um, she was, she was not getting, she was getting a, a EPO. It's a, um, a pill that they give patients to stimulate the growth of um, the production of red blood cells. My mother was on two medications. Um, MDS can lead into cancer. It can lead into myeloma and cancer. Um, she did not advance to that stage, but she fell in 2018. She fractured her hip mm. and she ended up in rehab for uh, six, uh, at least six weeks. I took a leave of absence from my job because I wanted to be there to see what was going on. Mm-hmm. And even though she was like 91, I think at that time, and they, they were doing all these tests to try to figure out why the hemoglobin was so low. So at the same time she was in rehab, getting all of those tests, she had physical therapy. I mean, aggressive physical therapy every day, three times a week, I think it was. And she managed to do to both of them. She managed to to do both of them. So um, my dad passed away 2020 at home with hospice, which is one of the best support services I can recommend to anybody. Yes. Yeah. Very, very supportive. The nurses came. She, he had physical therapy. He had all of the services that we wanted for him. He had. Um, we also provided uh, the barber. He had a professional barber that he would go to. We brought the barber into the house to, um, you know, provide his his care. Um, so all of the services we we brought into the house. My mom had um, some church members. One of them that had a um, restaurant and they had home cooked meals. Mm. So it, it, it was really a good experience. Um, the last person I would talk about is my brother who passed away a couple of months after my mom. He passed away in September, 62 years old, an Iraqi Afghanistan veteran, two terms mm. in, in Afghanistan and one term in um, Iraq. Um, he came back after his tour of duty, uh, just a different person, severe PTSD, some mental illnesses, um, alcohol, just, just chronic alcohol use. He passed away, as I said, a couple of months after my mom um, at his home in Columbia, South Carolina with his wife. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 2020 was, was quite a caregiving year yeah. for me. Yeah. Uh, I am still surviving and you know, moving forward. Right. That's right. Wow. You know, thank you so much for sharing, you know, your experiences. And um, one thing that I, between the two, um, as you shared your stories is that you all got help, right? Your uncle was helping you, Sanjali, your family, you got AIDS coming out there, Dr. Myers to help you. And so I just want family caregivers to listen to that and hear that, that we cannot do this by ourselves, right? You have to have help. Even as a nursing professional, we seek help because we know that you can only do so much physically, mentally. And for you, Sanjali, it was just a blank because you didn't sleep. You were just going, going, going. And so you can only do that for so long before you end up in a hospital bed somewhere else and someone having to need to take care of you, right? So if nothing else from this podcast, I want the family caregivers to know 
you have to get help. Whatever resources are available to you, church members, family members, friends, if they come for a second and just AIDS that can help. There are programs in different counties where you can get AIDS um, hours, maybe for free. You want to check with your county resources. The VA benefits, there are benefits through the VA as well that can support someone to stay in the, in, in the home and not having to put them um, in a nursing home. And so in my case, um, we continue to help with my dad. I have a sister who is a nurse as well. And so we put our nurse hat on, but we also just want to be daughters. And so often we go to the doctors, especially for me. Initially, I don't even tell them I'm a nurse. I want you to speak to us, me and my dad, as though, you know, we don't know what's going on because my dad is here. So you should be talking to him, you know, much more even than you talk to me because he actually is the patient. And right. I often do that, redirect the conversation to my dad because he needs to know what's going on and he is able to understand what's going on, right? And so um, we do switch that hat back and forth, but even as professionals, we have to have help, right? And so I want caregivers to know, take the help that you get. And so Dr. Myers, I'm going to start with you on this question. So did your occupation as a nurse have any impact on your ability to care for your loved ones? I noticed, as I heard you said, your brother was a VA and you had so much experience with the VA. Did that have any impact on how you were able to help your family? Absolutely. Let me go back to my uh, master's degree education. I received a master's from Boston College um, early in my career. Masters uh, in nursing with a concentration in long-term care. Oh. And I had, I, I became a clinical specialist that I had the master's plus the clinical specialist training. I was trained in a 650 bed long-term care facility Wow. In Massachusetts, they had all levels of care. So you started with, uh, you know, the lowest level, and then they had uh, progressive care in a dementia unit. I had experience in all of those um, places. Um, I moved to Atlanta in January 23rd, 1983. I, um, in addition to the master's, I enrolled in Georgia State University, received a certificate in gerontology from the gerontology center. And it was 32 graduate credits. Um, I learned so much about the sociology of aging, normal aging, um, all of the aging resources in Atlanta, which mm -hmm. were some of which, which mirrored the resources in South Carolina. So mm -hmm. my training definitely had an impact on my care. And then you just mentioned my VA care, working in mental health. I have to tell you that when I graduated from Tuskegee, my um, highest score was in obstetrical nursing. So where does God take you? He takes you someplace to sometimes the unknown paths. That's but right. I was prepared. I was prepared through my experiences to care for my parents That's and right. my brother. That's right. Absolutely. And as you mentioned, you know, about the VA again, you know, for our veterans, we just, we so appreciate all that they do. And when they come back, we need to be able to support them. And so whatever resources are available for the veterans, we want to make sure they know that it's there. And so, you know, your local veteran office, there is a pension, the um, aid and attendant pension, 
um, allows for services to be delivered in the home for the veteran and a spouse potentially. And then there's a new um, caregiver program that's out there. I think it's the uh, network caregiver program. That's also another type of program which they can get hours um, for having an aid in the home. So I asked our veterans to look into that, call the VA um, and see what type of services that can support you and your loved one to stay in the home because we wanna be able to serve them like they've served us for so many years, right? Um, and then Sanjali, I'm going to ask you the same question. Um, how did your experience help? Did it have any impact in your caring for your loved one? With my mom, like I said, I was a brand new nurse. So I think I learned trial by fire. <laughs> I, I think that's the best way I can say it. Cause I, I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't know, you know, there was a lot of things I didn't know. I, you know, I, I, you know, I had the book knowledge, but you know, the real life knowledge is a whole different thing. Um, it helped some cause I understood what the doctors were telling me, but I think the, my, my biggest challenge was just navigating, navigating her through the health system to get the things that she needs and all the roadblocks that I got. That's, I, that, that, that's what sticks out to me the most. Her care was, you know, in the, in the hospital was, was fine. The nursing home, not so much. Um, as a matter of fact, that nursing home has since been shut down by the state. Mm -hmm. They were not a great nursing home. Um, so I'm glad she was only there for like a couple of weeks. But, you know, I, that was my, my learning. Now I have to say, I did, I did help feel like I helped more when my uncle got sick. And this is the same uncle that took care of my mom. Okay. okay. And I helped my aunt with, with him um, because he ended up, uh, he had horrible, horrible diabetes. So much so that he lost both of his legs. Mm -hmm. oh, and, wow. yeah, and he was bedridden and then dementia kicked in. So mm -hmm. he was, he was, something else <laughs> that dementia is something else yes it yeah. is it is it is it teaches you a whole new thing yeah. I, that's the only way I can say it you 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 learn a whole lot more stuff with dementia right um so helping her with him with the knowledge I had because he passed away in 16 2016 so 2013 so I'm, I'm a more seasoned nurse so mm -hmm. I'm able to really kind of help her more with him. Um, sure. Cause she, you know, she, I wish we had this when she was being the caregiver because she took care of him before she took care of herself. Right. And we kept telling her, he's not going anywhere. Do what you have to do. Cause she had, she had diabetes too. Mm -hmm. So we were like, take care of yourself. You eat, get your, you know, your, your insulin in, and then you can deal with him. He's not going anywhere. Right. But she wouldn't do that. She'd take care of him first. And then by the time she's ready to take care of herself, her sugar is either up or down. Right. And, you know, and that's, but, you know, that's, that's what we do as, as family caregivers, whether you're a nurse or not, we tend yeah. to take care of them first and then not take care of ourselves. And so that's what we want to push is 
Self-care is so important. And the basics of taking your medication, you go on to the doctor, maybe schedule appointments where you both can see the doctor at the same time, right? So that is convenient. Yeah. But to be able to do those things for yourself. Um, and as you talked about navigating through everything, you know, whether you're a nurse, a lawyer, a doctor, it doesn't matter. Everyone has to go through that process of Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare. There is just no easy way, regardless of what your title is, of how you get through that process, right? And so it can be challenging to do that. And so reaching out to resources like state resources, your um, area aging on um area aging agencies are really important to kind of maybe have a navigate through that um, as well. Um, but to kind of get some ideas of what to do, reaching out to the Medicare providers, the Medicare providers, um, the insurance plans can sometimes help you and give you some guidance as to how to get through that. Um, my understanding is as you're pre preparing to turn 65, you get information from the government about Medicare your whole booklet as to how you plan your Medicare. So you probably want to take time to do that for your loved one and for yourself as you get ready to enter that age. And so um, we all have to navigate that system. And, you know, as a nurse and a family caregiver, um, we're wearing so many hats, but the hat that we want to wear is that relationship with that loved one. So can you share maybe a memory that you had with your loved one um, that you enjoyed, that you both had a memory together? Because we focus on so much of the challenges and not enough of the good times, and it can be such a wonderful journey when we're with them. So can you each share a memory of something that you remember that touched the two of you? Um, Dr. Myers, I'll let you go first. I have so many memories. I guess the one that sticks out in my mind is um, Mother's Day, on a Mother's Day years ago, my mom, um, I'd always go home on Mother's Day and, and take the gifts from everybody else and we'd have a special dinner. This one particular time we were after dinner, we went down to um, the Riverwalk. We have a Riverwalk. Um, the stores downtown back up into a Riverwalk, similar to San Antonio, but not as fabulous. And my mother and I went into the park. We both like bought a pecan ice cream. We went into um, the park. I got the ice cream. We went into the park. We just said, oh, we just had the loveliest time. She was telling me about um, you know, when she, what it was like growing up, her dad was a Baptist preacher and the, her three sisters, she was the one that always went with her dad. She was just very close to him. Um, then we started talking about, uh, she said, you know, my dad, your dad and I had a conversation of what we're going to do if one of us leaves the other. And I had been planning to have that conversation, but I didn't want to just put myself out there, but she oh, brought it up and I was really glad she did. So I said, oh, I said, well, how did that go? She said, well, I told him um, if he dies before me, I'm going to sell one. Of, I'm going to sell the houses and I'm coming to Atlanta to live with you, which is what mm -hmm. I wanted her to do. Wow. <laughs> so then I said to her, I said, well, what about daddy? She said, well, that's another, that's another story we have to work on. She said, I told him the same thing. She said, you have two boys down here in South Carolina and they're not going to take care of you like the girls. And I want you to go to Atlanta with Jean. That's my nickname. And I asked my mom, I said, well, what did she say? What did he say? She said, he didn't say nothing. And you'd have to understand that my dad is very stubborn. 
Okay. <laughs> so I told my mom, I said, well, you're going to have to revisit that. I said, you're going to have to ask him, you know, go back and revisit that. So they came to Atlanta to visit. Um, actually, it was for my nephew's graduation. And my dad said um, he was sitting on my little porch at my ranch house. And I was still working. I came and pulled up in the driveway. And he said to me, he said, you know, I could really live here. I could live here in Atlanta. <laughs> Slowly but surely it worked, right? Slowly yes. but surely it worked. That's so right. with my dad, another story. Um, the, the second story is so, 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 so humorous. I was at home in South Carolina doing one of my regular two-week visits. My dad at that time was, was um, walking with a walker. So in the middle of the night, I heard the, the footsteps and the walker pass my bedroom where I was sleeping and he went toward the den in the kitchen and I was just so curious I got up and I said I was like what is he doing in the kitchen so when I got to the kitchen he had the refrigerator door flushed back to the wall I said dad yes so what are you doing he said well I was just hungry I got up made me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich <laughs> I said can I help you he said well you can pour me some milk so not only did I pour him the milk, imagine sitting in the den at 3 a.m. in the morning having peanut butter and jelly sandwich and milk with my father. Oh, <laughs> that is great. I love it. Awesome. Thank you. Sandra Lee. And so I don't have like memory, mem uh, like a specific memory. My memories are more, you know, sporadic. You know, I remember my mom enjoying um, the Falcons as awful as they were. <laughs> even back then. <laughs> but she loved them. She, she, she bought season tickets. She went to the game. She went to New Orleans. I remember, I do remember one time I bought her a jacket, a uh, Falcons jacket. And I mean, I, it had the emblem and ribbons. I mean, it, it was a, it wasn't, and it was white. It was a Falcons jacket. And I was like, mom, please don't wear this to New Orleans because I don't want you getting beat up in New Orleans. She's like, I'm wearing it to New Orleans. I don't care. It's my jacket. I was like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and your jacket. That's right. Oh, and then uh, the, I think the two biggest things with, for me with her is her seeing me graduate mm -hmm. from college twice. Um, I have a bachelor's in biology. And she saw me graduate with that one. And then she got the chance to see me um, in my pinning ceremony and get my nursing degree. I think those two things really made her proud. Because wow. I'm, I'm an only child. And, okay. you know, if she wasn't able to go, you know, finish college and for her daughter to do it twice. Yes. I think she really, that really touched her. So okay. those are the things I remember. That's awesome. And you know, the memories that you share aren't, you know, big gifts or places you went on these fancy trips. It was simple conversations, yes. just gestures that were just the most impactful thing. And so that's what we just, for our caregivers, just to know that simply just take a few minutes, just stop doing things and eat a meal with your loved one, or just listen to their favorite record or your favorite record or song, or, you know, just be still. And, and it's, it's just in those moments that only do you enjoy 
have that moment, but you learn things just like Dr. Myers, you were afraid to have that conversation about what the end would look like. And yep. your mom brought it up. How powerful is that? Cause that's a hard conversation to have, but it's also one that we must have as well. So the time is now to have that conversation so you can honor their wishes. And those are the same conversations that I love with my dad, just sit and listen. He has the best stories ever. And I just listen to his stories and learn and laugh. So that, that is just wonderful. And so I tell you, this time is flown by as it normally does. And so I'm going to ask for you all to share with us maybe two actions that you recommend the caregivers take after listening to this podcast. So maybe something you learned through your journey or through your career that you would tell the family caregiver to do to make their journey better. And I'll start with you, Sanjali. Take care of yourself because if you don't you won't be there to take care of your care your 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 loved one just take care of yourself go to your doctor's appointments take your medications eat do all of that your 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 loved ones you know you know 10 15 20 minutes out of your day to take care of you do that. Um, also, if you get family members that can watch over, you know, if your family member that you're taking care of is at the house and, and you need someone to watch them because you need to just go out and breathe for a minute, please do that. Do that because you will go crazy because my aunt almost did. <laughs> um, and I don't know how else to say it, but if you have to do Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, get some help with that. I I don't know how I did it, and I did it with no help because mm-hmm. no one can help me with it. So I I I did I did it by trial by error. It it didn't help much, but find someone to help you with that because it is it is a nightmare of red tape. Thank you. Those are my two things. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Myers. So it's it's interesting that Sonia mentioned two of the the same things, and I will just repeat, take care of yourself. Um, To the point that one time I was in South Carolina, one of the things I did was I I, I told my mom to do that, even when she was taking care of my dad. And I had scheduled her um, appointments at the nail shop in the massage every two weeks. Mm-hmm. I remember one time I went and I didn't have time to take care of myself in Atlanta. So I took my mom and my dad, my dad, <laughs> I have a picture of my dad sitting at the counter, getting his nails done. <laughs> awesome. take, care, take care of yourself um, and bring in the support. There's no way I could have taken care of my two parents in their home about 50% of the time without any help. Right. One of the things I'd also like to mention is the, um, Alzheimer's Association in South Carolina, as it is throughout the United States, they do provide respite care. Mm-hmm. And we did have someone from the Alzheimer's Association to come in a couple of times during the week, once a couple of hours during the week. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. taking care of yourself is important as you continue to take care of others. That's right. That's great. So you mentioned about the Alzheimer's Association. Is there any other website, social media, anything that you recommend recommend that the caregivers follow as well that may be helpful? I would recommend the AARP 
um, they, their website, they have a ton of information. They even have stuff on caregiving. Yes. Um, there's just lots of tools on there. Um, if you become a member, it's worth it. It really is worth it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, they, they produce a um, newsletter with just tons of information about um, fraud, fraud alerts for older people, not to be scammed, a lot of stuff about Medicare, Medicaid. Yes. They address a lot of those things in their newsletter. So that to me proved to be a very good resource for my parents as well. Great. Sanjali, did you want to add any websites, resources that may have been helpful to you? Um, not offhand. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I can't think of anything offhand. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that, you know, ARP is great, the VA. And I will say that um, our previous series, Call for Caring on Purpose, has all of those um, representatives there to include Medicare, Medicaid, ARP Georgia is one on those episodes, uh, attorneys about how to do some of the living wills and talk about what they want to do for the future. So if you have not listened to those previous episodes and the other series, I would recommend listening to those because those give, give a lot of great information about how to address some of those questions as well that we just talked about in the resources. So I want yes, Michelle. There's one other thing I want to say. Um, the VA has um, hospital home-based primary care. Mm-hmm. They come out to the house. That was one of the programs I was responsible for. So that's a team of people that will go to the home, and the goal is to keep the veteran in their home longer. Um, depending on the needs of the veteran, you may have a physical therapist, um, a pharmacist, occupational therapist, whatever is needed in the home. That's a great program. Absolutely. And that's a home-based program. And they can call their local VA office to get more information on that. Okay. Yes. Awesome. Wonderful. And and Michelle, you just kind of reminded me of something. Get get a living will. Get a will. Get a living will. Get 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 a healthcare power of attorney. Get all of that. Um, with my mom. I realized I needed that. And so I have that. Um, I, I have it all laid out on what I want done, mm-hmm. who I want to do it. Get that. Yes, absolutely. That really important. Absolutely. That's a good idea. Yes. yes. And again, th- that information is in our last series as well. And so thank you all so much. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you for sharing your experiences. I'm sure someone learned something from this conversation today. And I want to wish you all a very happy Nurses Day week as we come into the month of May. And so, um, you know, it's very difficult to do multiple things. And when you're in nursing, you, you see that all the time and have to come home to do that as well. It can be a challenge, but as we talked about, it can also be a blessing. And that's what we often have to look at things as, as a blessing. And sometimes when you need a break, your loved one may need a break from you as well. So it's okay <laughs> to ask for that help and to uh, give both of you all a break. So um, and, you know, this is Nurses Week as, as that's coming up. So I am going to ask our listeners to leave maybe a thank you note in the comment section of today's episode and send a note to a nurse who you encountered, who made a difference in your life, your loved one's life. And so let's show some appreciation for these heroes who are nurses. So again, thank you all so much. And if you want to learn more about this awesome professional nursing organization, 
Chi Eta Phi Sorority Incorporated. Again, you can visit chiedaphi.org. Um, the Empowerment Hour is presented by Call for Caring. Our organization supports caregivers through resources like today's podcast, expos, courses, and grants. You can learn more or do donate to Call for Caring at callforcaring.org. Today's episode can be heard on uptomeradio.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and viewed on YouTube via the Call for Caring channel. We hope that today's episode of the Empowerment Hour has met our goal to educate, elevate, and empower caregivers during their caregiver journey. Thank you. <laughs>